1: Hey,
2: hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about
1: to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Uh, Welcome back to your postgame Buckeye Talk. This was an afternoon game. We're still doing this podcast. At least it's not four o'clock in the morning it's 11 o'clock at night on saturday it's doug Maurice, Stephen steven means it's nathan baird and it is a 49 to 10 victory for the ohio state buckeyes over rutgers can i start with the congratulations to the buckeye talk crew we all predicted rutgers to score 10 in this game and rutgers scored 10 steven this is like this might be the greatest moment in
3: buckeye talk predictions history I think it is commendable. I want to thank Emeka Ibuka and his sleight of hands for making it possible, because without that move, it does not happen because Rutgers decided it could not move the ball unless it's punter did it for them. So I'd like to thank Emeka. I'd like to thank myself for my analysis. I'd like to thank you guys for joining me in the Elite Analysis and now we get to spend the next hour and a half talking about a team that we make fun of on a constant basis. Oh,
1: yeah. We're not going it, an hour and a half on these guys. It's freaking Rutgers. We're going an it, hour max.
2: It, it wasn't his sleight of hand. It was his slight hands who didn't catch that ball, which didn't catch that ball and allowed Rutgers to score the touchdown. If without that, they wouldn't have had a 10. By the way, this is like this is the betters conundrum because I actually predicted the closest score to the final score of this game, but was not correct on either side of the bet
1: but this is this this game the over under was 58 and the total was 59 and ohio state was favored by 39 and a half and they won by 39 so it was a point and half a point on each which is just did we go by
2: 39 and a half is that what we yeah we
1: went by okay so i did i did win that one did we go at
3: 39 and a half or 38
1: and a half i thought we went by 39 and a half i thought which is okay. like a huge difference. Now we have yeah. to go. we yeah. have I'll to go to the, to the to uh, the. I mean, because again, what people are tuning into a post game analysis of their five and zero Ohio State Buckeyes, and we're talking about our fake Buckeye talk betting tokens and who won, and not. I thought it was thirty nine and a half. Um, so thirty nine won- and a
2: half and an over under fifty eight. So I did split yeah. my vote. I did split my. Vote.
1: Okay. So. We want to talk about three main things on this podcast Mayan Williams had a record time game with five rushing touchdowns which tied Keith Byers and Pete Johnson for the all time record for rushing touchdowns in a single game. We are going to save a deeper dive into Mayan Williams Trevor Henderson did not play he was on the sideline in his in his air Jordans he wasn't wearing football cleats. it was a remnant from something that happened against Toledo and he came out in pregame warm ups and decided they they decided he couldn't go so Mayan Williams deserves his moment in the sun when you have, what was it, 187, 189 rushing yards on 20, 21 carries, five touchdowns. We're going to dig into him on the Monday pod. Nathan's going to rewatch the game. We're really going to try to dig in on Maya Williams. What we want to do here, we want to talk about Zach Harrison, who might have had his best game as a Buckeye. We want to talk about where C.J. Stroud is right now. They are, are running the ball a lot. How are people defending C.J. Stroud? And we want to talk about, I don't want to say evil Ryan Day. But uh, but hardcore Ryan Day, who got in a pointing match and kind of a shouting match with Greg Shiano. Let's start with the football, though, and let's start in a little bit of a different place. And let's start with Zach Harrison, who I think deserves this because he has been a guy that, Stephen, we have talked a lot about around in and out with Zach, like we, it's been difficult a little bit to get a handle on Zach Harrison and his Ohio State career. He's always been good. We've always wondered if he's great. I thought you felt him on Saturday, maybe more than you ever felt him. He forced two turnovers, he forced a fumble, he hit the quarterback he was throwing to cause an interception. I don't know, Stephen. I don't want to say that it was like a breakout game. I don't know what it means going forward, but there was a presence that if that's going to be the Zach Harrison going forward, he's always solid. But if he's going to be that much of a presence, that feels like something,
3: doesn't it? It's as much about him as it is about the guys around him. I think Ohio, we've talked about this before, this idea of a rushman package where Zach goes inside and maybe that taps into something They did it one play against Notre Dame. And I even asked Zach about that back that week. And he made it a point to say, yes, I did it one play. It's not just one play anymore. It was habitual against Rutgers in that rushman package where it's him and Mike Hall on the interior with JT, Tui, and Jack Sawyer on the edge. And I think it's unlocked something in Zach Harrison because he's a bit of a mismatch in there on the interior, along with what Mike Hall is already doing, disrupting there and then JT and Jack, you know, rushing on the edge, I think what it does is it opens up a situation where somebody's going to make a play. We've seen it with Mike Hall, and now we're seeing it with Zach Harrison. And it's not just these little stints like it was against Minnesota where he had the strip sack, and then, oh, it's just a one-off. No, it was multiple times. They had one sack today, Nathan.
1: Do you know who it was? Do you know who had high State's one sack today without looking? You win a million dollars if you get it right. Uh, one million dollars. I know who I'm trying,
2: is. To, trying to remember it may have been a point of the game which I was no
1: longer watching. Yeah, it was Ryan Turner on the cornerback list, number six <laughs> cornerback, had the only sack. My outrageous prediction this week was three sacks for Jack Sawyer, not close to coming true. Nathan, we're, we're you can't judge these guys by only sacks, people are trying to get rid of the ball quick. Um, but Zach Harrison inside today, there was a time, I can't remember when it was, we were dabbling with trying to make Zach Harrison a defensive tackle for a little while there, and like Ohio State didn't want to do it, and we were like, but are you sure you don't want to do it? Maybe you should do it. I thought today, length, power inside, athleticism inside, it's what Draymond Jones did so well, it's what Adolphus Washington did well, I know it's Rushman package, but you could start whenever you, because here's the thing you get ahead and then people got to throw to catch up. You can do that a lot. I, I, what Stephen was saying, Nathan, I like this because you feel him, you feel him in there. He's long. He's, he pushes, he's powerful. He pushes guys back and maybe you don't, you know, you went with your hands a little bit, but you don't need as much bend as you do on the edge. I don't know. Do you think that this, this could be something for the second half of the season with Zach Harrison?
2: Do I think it could be something more than what we saw tonight as far as the he, rushman package? He, like, I, I just thought Zach Harrison – Well, Ron let's Vincent, just talk about – no. Well, no, 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 no.
3: It's, it's, it's not, it's not, he's not a starting defensive tackle. It's like the rushman package. So, I felt him. I felt – did you feel him,
1: Nathan? Did you feel his presence
3: tonight? Today? Definitely. Definitely. I did. Yeah. Do you think Um,
1: we can feel Zach Harrison in games like this, the second half of his senior year? Can this become more the norm?
2: I think it can, Uh, Well, especially games like this against against Rutgers. He definitely after four years should have figured out how to wreck Rutgers pretty well. They've they're well-versed in that, but not to be completely facetious. Like I, I understand what you're saying. And when you play Penn state, when you play Michigan, when you have, you know, third down advantageous situations there, Can he get on the field and can you feel, that's a great way to put it because Zach Harrison is a guy that we have seen and increasingly even heard over the course of his career. He's gotten more comfortable there. I don't know that we felt him very much either these last two years.
1: Which is why we would look at good PFF grades and be like, really? Because we weren't feeling it. We, the stats Mm -hmm. were saying it, but we weren't feeling it in games.
2: It was, you know, and I think he's he probably been very technically sound. He's probably been a guy who has done the the performed correctly at the, you know, at the at the baseline of the work. But the the feel that you're talking about, I mean, we felt Mike Hall right, right away this season. We, um, you know, the, and and in some ways, going back to last year and even 2020, the the feel was so sporadic from this defensive line that the few moments really stand out. You feel Tommy Toga against Penn state in 2020. You feel Haskell Garrett on the first carry against Michigan state in 2021. Like there's, they're like really reverberate. And now I think the, those moments may start to pile up a little bit more. We thought coming into this year that it was the whole defensive line could maybe take a step forward. And part of that was when we saw that someone like Zach Harrison might actually be sliding down the, row a little bit and if if he really is making a more tangible impact then it's going to get felt through the whole defense
1: i i don't want to now start down the road of like well how come this guy isn't better as soon as we've decided oh no zach harrison he's good now i don't want to start with someone else but i will say steven we talked a lot in the offseason, about the jump Here we, we thought JT to Maloa was going to make. And we, I yeah. think a lot of us predicted him as All Americans. And I just thought we felt Jack Sawyer at times because that Jack spot, you're moving around, there's opportunities sort of to be felt, right? I, I thought Zach, I thought we felt Zach more tonight, maybe than we felt JT in a game. And I'm not saying JT's not playing well, but that's to me almost what stood out with Zach Harrison is because I think this defensive line has been good. They've stopped the run. I think they've made it hard for offenses to operate, but I don't know that they've been incredibly disruptive and then Zach forced two turnovers. What do we think about, and I'm like Zach Harrisoning jt JT
3: out. Yeah. I That was my game time decision in that video was this idea of, JT is actually having a really, really good year. He just isn't getting sacks. And there's a lot to that, as we just talked about. Sometimes people can get too much on sacks. He came into this game with 12 pressures on the season. According to PFF, that's more than anybody else. In fact, the next closest to were Tommy Eichenberg, who's coming on blitzes all the time and Michael Hall with eight. So he's doing his job. It's just one game, he did everything right, and the quantum Fin happened. And in the other games, it's like, they're getting the ball out quick or it's they slip just away enough to where it's not a sack. It's a TFL or something like that. And so I think T, JT's been fine. He's not a, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's a sack guy in his build Cause you, you compared him to Cameron yeah. Haywood a lot. So he might not be a sack guy, but everything else from a defensive end standpoint, I think he's taking that job.
1: But I think to be fair, Nathan, didn't we have a lot of conversations in 2020 about how the defensive line got pressure and got close and didn't get home? And there are gonna be moments when you've got to get home. And again, I, I don't they're get they're making people get rid of the ball. And Greg Shiano is not gonna let his quarterback come here and hold on to the ball. Everybody knows that. You can't hold on to the ball against Ohio State. So it's it's a tough balance, but we have we have brought up in the past, hey, they're not getting home, they're getting close, and at some point you got to get home.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to declare him as not a sack guy after a very green freshman year in in these five games, but somebody's got to be a sack guy. Like, yeah, it's it's a national. If you want to win a national championship in Division One college football, somebody's got to be a sack guy. And I think we're in a a weird place. The the 2020 thing is, is. I remember that vividly and I think it spilled even into last year a little bit because a lot of those sacks came off of the defensive interior last year and it was in weird times late in games nine of them came against Akron or whatever we've been talking about sacks with this defense ever since Chase Young left and what it means what it doesn't mean and it's a strange juncture to be at because I think it is true that not every pressure ends in a sack and you can alter a game with pressures without getting home. And there are other things that go into what a defensive end does, but with just the plain truth that the teams that win national championships have guys off the edge wrecking games and the best Ohio state defenses have had guys coming off the edge wrecking games. So I think it's one of the things as we get into this, we're coming up on the middle of a season and down the stretch of this season who still keeps developing into that? And I think well, the reason why you did said that about Jack Sawyer, your prediction this week, Doug. I think part of it is predicated on things we've been seeing a little bit. Like the the flashes have started to be there that maybe he's figured something out, and maybe both him and Tua out and other guys up front, as to to, to what Stephen was saying, it feels like they've been close. It feels like they're right there. And it's just I, I talked about this a lot after the um, Toledo game with Finn because it felt like so many times in that game they're just like a like a just a hands length away from grabbing a guy and that was an especially mobile guy obviously but it it just again to go back to feel and his feel can be dangerous because it can be deceiving sometimes that's why it's nice to have sometimes the objective data but it feels like they're close. And it feels like there's a couple guys here who could kind of catch the bug a little bit and start being that sack guy.
3: Yeah, I think when I say that JT's not a sack guy, I'm not saying he can't develop into that. It's more what their base talent was when they got here. And if I had to go off that base talent. I mean, we, we talked about that's why JT got on the field before Jack is because he was better in the run. I would say Jack Sawyer and Mike Hall, their base level talent is, I'm going to get after the quarterback. Mike Hall is starting to show that. And even Jack, he's got a sack this year. And he's starting to show that, but he also has other responsibilities when he's that Jack position. So it throws it off a little bit. But those, if those are the four guys in the Rushman package, if I had to rank the order of who the sack guys are, I would say Mike Hall, Jack Sawyer, whatever order you want to put him in. And then I would go JT... Tua and Zach Harrison.
2: But but let's also say that oftentimes by now the Sack guys have sort of started to show up a little bit. Like we know who they're gonna be. And like like Mike Hall didn't need a lot of runway to start making an impact. He didn't do anything yeah. last year, and all of a sudden it's opening night, and Mike Hall is like, oh man. And uh, Zach Harrison on the on the contrasting side. By the time Jack Zach Harrison gets to his senior year, we've kind of backed away from expecting anything from him as a sack guy. That that's not probably going to be. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be a big volume sack guy. So it's those guys in the middle. Really, I mean, it's still just Sawyer and low out. Those are the two guys. Like I, as we get into the second half of the season, i I just have my eye on like which of those guys becomes the threat. None, neither of them feel like a threat. It seems like a there, there's a potential of a threat still there for both of them. But until one of them arrives, it'll feel like something is still a little bit missing.
3: I do think – go ahead.
1: Look, the one Just part one, one is- sack, One sack for the team tonight. Yeah. Ten sacks through five games. That's two sacks per game. They have not averaged that few sacks per game since 2011 when they averaged 1.77. When they are at their best, they're up over three sacks per game sometime. They're off in 2.5, 2.7, 2.9. Go ahead, I think a, I can could- work.
2: I just want to throw in real quick, though. Rutgers attempted 20 passes tonight. And Wisconsin's yes. volume of passes were also very limited last yes. week. So that's – yes, the number of sacks is correct to what you're saying. We'd have to go back and do some other math as far as, like, sack rate.
3: Yes. And then we're talking about how many games until Ohio State plays the team going to throw it 25-plus times because Michigan State might not do that next week either. Some of this has to be taken into account. Tommy Eichenberg is now a weapon as a blitzer. And so like, he's going to take some of those sacks, especially with the way this defense is sometimes. No,
1: I, well, no, that's great. But again, they have 10 sacks as a team in five games. Yeah, So like, and that's so, so that's just a baseline thing, but, uh, but understanding, yes, maybe they're not exactly playing, uh, you know, run and shoot teams.
2: Very, and and I I like that they're using Eichenberg and Chambers as weapons. It's been kind of a revelation to see somebody take a linebacker and throw him downhill the way that they're doing it over and over and over again. Reminds me a little bit of the way we saw Malik Harrison play in 2019, frankly. Except it's even more pronounced than that. But you've got to be able to create real pressure and get home once in a while with a four-man front, with just a stand like those guys beat their guy on the edge and get a sack once in a while.
1: And we're just not seeing that with this defense. And and you did see it tonight. Like again, they they shoot Tommy Eichenberg out of a cannon on some of these blitzes. I think tonight, I think they might have blitzed Chambers Eichenberg and Hickman. And and Hickman was the guy who almost got home and mm-hmm. sort of hit the quarterback as he was throwing uh, on a critical play because they are dialing up these things. There were two tackles for loss by Steel Chambers tonight. Half a tackle for loss uh, for Eichenberg overall. Six tackles for loss, which again is a good way to talk about an attacking defense that sometimes, you know, they're tackling running backs behind the line. Sometimes when they try these swing passes wide, they're tackling guys back. So that matters too. It does.
2: And yeah. And pressure affecting the game. We're not just, it's not just lip service. We're not just carrying water for the coaches here because I think it was like 14 to seven uh, very early in the game. And Denzel Burke's guy over the middle was open because Denzel Burke got picked by the receiver who was running a vertical route up the seam on that side. And there should have been a completion over the middle on a third down and instead, but the guy, I don't, the quarterback never saw him. I think it was Simon on that play. It might've been federal. I can't remember because again, the, the pressure was bearing down on him. He threw it to the other side to a guy who was covered and it was nothing. So again, it, the pressure does affect the game that way.
1: And the linebackers were everywhere. Steel chambers led the team with 11 tackles. Tommy Eikenberg had nine. I mean, they're, they are attacking, right? So, I mean, that's the thing. Is this is not a, this is not, as we said, this, this is not a bend, don't break defense. This is a, the defense that's is, is getting after people. And some of the responses, we're not going to try to throw, or when we do try to throw, we're going to get out of the quarterback's hands very quickly. But I just, I just, I, it fell. And you could see it, Steven. like Zach, when he celebrated those two big plays, like he wasn't jumping up and down. He was doing like this sort of like arm flex, like just like a am here mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it would be, I I don't know, man. I really think there can be, and it, it's, it's a different animal. It is a different animal to, to be a defensive tackle who has to stop throwing on first and second down. And that, as we said, that is not what they're heading for, right, Nathan? That's what you were saying. Like, he's not taking snaps from Mike call and Tron Vincent, that kind of thing. But sometimes, Stephen, I watch Zach Harrison, and I just don't know why he wouldn't be Draymond Jones, who was a guy who came as an end and they turned into a full-fledged tackle and was a – and was a tackle up and down the line, a three down tackle who absolutely mm. was a pass rusher at tackle. And so I'll be really curious. Sometimes the proof is in the pudding in the NFL that, you know, I talked myself blue in the face with how I thought they should use Baron Browning. And now he's like three years into an NFL Man. career, they're doing it. <laughs> so I'll be really curious to see what Zach Harrison does. But I also think, Stephen, Pete Warner is like leading the NFL in solo tackles. And I said Pete Warner That's in true. my career here was maybe – one of the most difficult guys for me to wrap my hands around like he's good but how good and it turns out no like Pete Warner is like really really good I could see I could see Zach Harrison being a quite good NFL player Stephen that you look back and say oh he was good at Ohio State but he's actually better in the NFL because what that was today I thought the, the Zach Harrison of
3: this Saturday translates on Sunday man. The Zach I saw today looks like somebody who could fit in a lot of different schemes in the NFL, and that's an exciting thing, especially for a dude who's probably not the first round. He might be a second-round pick, and he could probably, like just like Pete Warner, go higher than we're thinking just because of the, that exact reason. He's not taking snaps away from Deron Vincent and Mike Hall, but it gives you more reasons to not put Jerron Cage and Williams out there. If Talik Williams doesn't have the you know, the new buzzword, competitive stamina that comes with it, and then jerron Cage's ceiling just isn't that high, if your options are now... Teron Vincent and Mike Hall do not come off the field on first and second down. And then when it's time to get after the quarterback on third down, you take one of those guys off the field and keep on the better pass rushers and throw Zach Harrison on the inside. I like that. I I could see Zach playing almost
1: every third down. That's like third and three or more. Yep. Right. Like why? And it's not like Nathan, it's not like Zach Harrison couldn't handle himself against the run. If he's in the game and they run a draw, it, it's not like he's mm. going to get thrown aside by an offensive lineman. Zach Harrison is a, is a technically sound physical football player.
2: Yeah. I think those third down situations, unless it is the, the one exception will probably be when they're doing that, the Jack, if they're running the Jack on third down, that's not really his spot. They've been using to him low out there as the end with the sorter, obviously roaming around. So that doesn't seem like his spot. They like, what they then get with Hall and Vincent at the two tackle spots. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, it, I think this, you know, again, it's I know it's his fourth year, but nights like this can sometimes be a little bit of springboard. We saw it last year with Tyreek Smith, where about halfway through last year, the things just kind of got in a groove. Libel went on for him a little bit, and he took off for a, a good stretch. And maybe this could be a similar kind of launching moment for Zach Harrison.
1: Just to recap, 187 total offensive yards for Rutgers. That was on 56 plays. They uh, gained 80 total passing yards and they gained 107 total rushing yards. So overall 3.3 yards per play for Rutgers, Ohio state in contrast, 7.0 yards per play. So 3.3 is not effective. The only way they scored a touchdown is because they had a short field after the drop punt. So Again, whatever, whatever we're doing here. Oh, they're not, you know, they're an effective defense. They're an effective defense, but I just think, you know, high standard, high standard, high standard. When it gets down to great opponents, there are going to be times when you're going to have to get home, not come close, but have to get home. All right. When we come back, I want to talk about CJ Stroud, how they're using him, how defenses are defending him next on Buckeye
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Doug LaMaurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. They are leaning into the run game, Nathan. Last year, Ohio State ran the ball on 46% of plays and passed it on 54%. 54 pass, 46 rush. Through 5 games this year, they are running the ball on 55% of their offensive plays and throwing it on 45%. On Saturday against Ruckers it was 58% rush, 42% throw. They didn't have a, a million plays, um they didn't and they didn't give CJ a whole lot of chance to do stuff. 13 of 22 for 154. Greg Schiano. afterward, I went to Rutgers post-game because I wanted to make sure we got both sides of the finger-pointing fight that we'll get to at the end of this podcast. Said, you know, he's a Heisman candidate at quarterback. And we decided, you know, you got to pick one. We're going to try to stop the pass. We thought, he thought they got decent pressure on him. He said, sometimes you watch Ohio State and nobody's touching him. And if you do that with C.J. Stroud, you're going to have no chance. So he thought they did an okay job getting after it a little bit. And they had a bunch of guys out in the Rutgers secondary, and he thought they still kind of held their own uh, in the secondary trying to match up with these Ohio State receivers. It's just a weird stat line, Nathan. 13 of 22 for 154 for the guy, you know, certainly in the front pack of the Heisman race is a weird stat line. But opponents are trying to do this. What do we make of it?
2: Well, that run-pass balance—it it is a little bit influenced by the way these last four games have gone too, where Ohio State, when they've had the ball in the fourth quarter of the last four games, and actually really all five games, because they mostly only ran the ball in the fourth quarter against Notre Dame too. So that's been—it it skews those numbers a little bit, but it's—they would still be a a um, a change from what we saw last year. It seems like a very intentional reaction to what this offense did last year in terms of run pass balance and to stroud's credit you know I, I really think i mean he's he seems fine with it as far as just giving the ball to these guys and the offensive line that's creating these holes i i agree and he even said after the game oh we got to fix some things in pass pro i think rutgers threw them some things that they hadn't seen before steven and i were talking about a specific play i think it might have been a third down play where stroud had gotten flushed out and DeJuan Jones got beat, but it I don't know if it was 100% his fault. Something didn't get communicated. Rutgers ran a stunt at them on the edge, and he, blo- he blocked his guy inside. But then the other guy came around, and he had no chance to recover in time. That flushed Stroud out. So little things like that were happening that they didn't react to correctly, and it's one of those things you'll just go fix in, in the film room this week. But the teams are going to have to – I mean, if I were doing this, if I were trying to stop Ohio State, even before I knew Trevon Henderson was hurt, I would definitely put it on the running backs t- to win this game because they c- they have to win it incrementally, mostly, except for when Williams breaks off a 70 yard run, whereas the passing game can just blow you away time and time again. I would, I would, I would make them win it on the ground.
1: So Steven, what do we believe CJ makes of this? I get, I w- again, I wasn't Ohio state post game. You sort of asked something about, is CJ getting maybe a little bored? Cause we've talked about that. Cause CJ said it last week. I have to make sure I don't get bored when I'm handed off. And then CJ gave you a little guff about it. Where do we think CJ's heads at? I think
3: CJ's bored. Um, I think CJ's saying all the right things about how we're winning. I don't care about my stats. If we have to hand it off a million times and we win, that's all that matters. That's cool. He's a quarterback who spent a lot of time last year throwing it 30 plus times a game. And he's just – that's not happening right now. I think it's a smart thing for defenses to keep too high safety so they don't get beat over the top all day, sure. But it's also – I said this earlier this year. It's kind of daring C.J. Stroud and Ryan Day to show some discipline. And they don't always do it. Even the way they answered the question about the interception, it was kind of on both – it was – one, CJ should not have thrown the ball in the quadruple cover. That's ridiculous. I don't care what he says about how he could throw a better ball. Nobody can throw a better ball. But it's also Ryan Day saying, we tried to take a shot out the gate. There is still this part of Ryan Day that is not completely sold on the run. He has to be forced into it. And typically the way he gets forced into it is if a running back is doing something historical. Whether it's Trey Sermon running for a million yards in the Big Ten Championship game, Trey uh, Travion Henderson running all over Tulsa or today what Mayan Williams does. There's still a part of him that it's like, okay, we ran it three times. Can we throw it over the top now? And, but that's that's not what I'm
1: complaining about. I'm complaining. They don't throw it enough. They ran it 58% of the time today
3: because that's what the, I mean, that's just what the defense is forcing them to do. I don't think that, I don't think they want to do this. I think they would rather throw the ball 30 plus times a game. But there's and 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 this is
1: like I guess like now I now I just sound like ranting maniac non football guy. Buckeye talk. Now that's how you're supposed to do it. See, we finally <laughs> did it right. That's how you're <laughs> supposed to do it. Like I, I just like dictating, Nathan. Buckeye talk. Like I want. Ohio, it's like Ohio State has the better players. They have the better schemers. They have the better everything. You dictate. So the idea there's some part of me, Nathan, that the idea that. Rutgers who Greg Shiano listed three guys in the secondary that we were missing that Rutgers could be like, well, you're not going to throw on us. It's like, what are you talking about? You're not going to throw on us. It's Rutgers. Rutgers doesn't get to decide this. CJ Stroud gets to decide it, but instead you wind up with 58% run 42% pass a complete 49 to 10 blowout never in doubt. Everything's great. Georgia almost lost on Saturday. Ohio state didn't come within a sniff of losing, even though they fumbled the first part of the game and were down seven nothing. So what's the big deal. I just, I just want the Heisman quarterback to be able to let it rip. And again, and I did think Nathan, one thing that maybe matters is we can talk about the 16 minute seven play two penalty four timeout red zone weirdness at one point. Where it felt like the most talented offense in the country couldn't figure out how to get in the end zone. And that seemed like a very tiny brief window into maybe they're kind of fighting themselves a little bit on some of this stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm just complaining because I like CJ and I wanted to have better stats and to have more chances to let it rip.
2: Yeah, there would yeah. That weird moment, that juncture, that just that 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 red zone possession that would not end. Whole line possession of would not end and then the first play of the second half i mean it was that was weird back-to-back stuff
1: and because the first play of the second half was the pick was the interception yeah
2: yeah, yeah.
3: i think i and i think the the weird stuff at the end of the first half are why they approached that first play like that in the second half it's like i don't want to deal with but, that but, man let's just say an explosive play and get out of here
2: but it, it, yeah but it's not as if it's not as if he was called to you have to throw this ball there no matter what it was a this decision he made like i yes. asked him after the game like hey because he brought up first about throwing a pick i'm like well since you brought it up like what happened there because they obviously he obviously sees something very different in front of him in that dimension than we see looking over the top looking over the top we were like what kind of a lunatic threw that ball and i wanted him to tell me like no like i just didn't see or they disguised it and he was like no like i saw It was covered three and a nickel, and I just thought I could fit it over that. Wrong, he he couldn't. Um, so I think that was a little indication of where he's maybe testing his limits a little bit. I don't know if it's because he's bored, but we've also seen him make some pretty impressive throws, and it might have just been an opportunity. He says, you know, he's not being reckless, but just like where he thought he could hit a home run ball, he he had some faith in what he could do, and he he took that shot. The other thing to remember is though. If a team is playing covered, if a team's playing two deep safeties and they're making you settle for running like seven, eight yard routes underneath, whatever, I mean, that's what Ohio State was like averaging per rush for a long part of this game. So, as a play caller, again, I think I would come back to that's what I would do if I were Rutgers or an opponent. And then in response, what I would probably do for Ohio State if I'm getting eight yards a chunk. I mean, again, if you take Mayan Williams this season, for the season, if you take away. The six of the seven touchdown runs he's had, or no, seven of the eight that haven't gone more than three yards, he's averaging like 8.6 yards a carry. Like, they're just getting huge chunks in the run game, and as much as it doesn't look aesthetically as nice for your your quarterback, it's a very efficient way to go out and dominate a football
3: game. I think there's two things I want to mention. One, I, I'm Marvin Harrison got held a lot. On some of those, he's clearly beat his corner, and the corner just decides, I'm not giving up a touchdown. I'm taking this PI. That can, it moves your offense, but it also can throw some stuff out of rhythm. So there are some explosive plays that got taken out the gate. And then also, the he business this on a video, or you're just missing the dude that you would go underneath to all the time. And when everybody was taking away Chris Olave last year, you just dumped it off to Jackson Smith the Jigba. When you lost that weapon now, I, Ameka Ibuka is a very, very good receiver, but his skill set is very different than what Jackson with the Jigmas. Quite frankly, Jackson's the only one with that skill set this year, while last year it felt like him and Garrett had that skill set of give me the ball and I'm going to go do something explosive with it. So it, maybe J, CJ's just not comfortable going underneath as much when it feels like it's just check downs to Mayan Williams when you don't have the best wide receiver in the country. It is hard to believe 7.4 yards per rush
1: for Ohio State in this game, 6.4 yards per pass attempt, which is how many times in your life will you find Ohio State and, with more average yards per rush than pass attempt in a game?
2: And again, there was a two-yard run for touchdown, a one-yard run, a one-yard run, I think a three-yard yeah. run. So again, those are terminal yards. If you take those away, then that average goes up even more. Like, they, you couldn't get more than one yard on those some of those touchdown runs. So that
1: average skyrockets. I, I really do think that that's possible, that – Jackson Smith and Jigba is the hardest guy, even though it felt like teams early on were trying to do it to take away because he knows how to get open and CJ trusts him and knows how to find him. And I think there's a lesser chance of Rutgers dictating to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Well, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's the best receiver in the country, but Rutgers was playing there, you know, number four corner. And they just said, we're going to take Jackson Smith and Jigba away. It's like, it, it, you can't, there's nothing you can do. There's no saying that you're Rutgers. He's Jackson Smith and Jigba. And so this is, it's, it's a, it's a balance because I liked what they did last week against Wisconsin, where they spread it out like they were going to throw and then ran, right? It almost felt this week, especially in the red zone stuff, Nathan, they had times where they had Josh Fryers and extra tight end, Mitch Rossi, Cade Stover and G Scott all in the game at the goal line. And then they tried to throw it. So I like it when they spread out and run there were some examples on Saturday where they tried to be compact and tight and then throw, and that didn't go as well. So I get the balance, you know, show one thing, do the other. That's how this whole offensive thing works. But it felt like last week, Nathan, and then we said it, like, that's it. That's the Ryan Day offense, that there was balance but it felt like even though the passing game didn't even throw for 300 yards, they felt it still felt dangerous to me. The passing game just didn't feel as, as dangerous tonight. And then Mayan Williams ran people over, and he was dangerous as heck. So that was what was a little odd that the, certainly the passing game wasn't bad by any stretch. C.J. Stroud wasn't bad. But it did feel like they put a little bit of a dome on it, right, that they did They did sort of effectively limit it, and there's a part of me that thinks, how could Rutgers ever effectively limit C.J. Stroud?
2: Well, I think more to the and maybe the larger thing that you're getting at is, if Rutgers can do it, someone else can. And this isn't going to be the best defense Ohio State faces. I think I think it's a it's it's not a bad defense really. I know they gave up forty nine points today, but in the whole of college football, this actually isn't that terrible of a defense. And you've got a guy in Greg Schiano at the top of the whole thing that knows what he's doing. So Rutgers is going to give somebody else in the Big Ten some trouble this year, and might be a dangerous team for teams that are are, are decent. But if they, if other teams are going to see this film and, and they might be able to take some things away from the way Rutgers approach this, that they can now apply with their better personnel. And how State's going to have to have a, a, another answer because those chunk plays in the run game might not also be there against the next opponent. That, the other opponent might be just better in the front six, front seven, however many they have for that given opponent that can choke some of that off. Make Now, how State, it's just how many times can you make a team have to drive and have to convert a third down because that's the other thing. It's like there was so few opportunities. It seems like where teams are really kind of putting Ohio States back to the wall at at any point in the
3: game. To the point of, you know, trying to spread them out. I thought they did that. It's just, they they were throwing a lot of those perimeter screens. It's just what Julian Marvin and Emeka can do with it isn't the same as what Jackson can do with it. So those long handoffs, as they like to call them, end up just being wasted pass plays or wasted rushing plays because Jackson takes that and he goes and gets you 14 yards. Today, they were getting five, six yards max with it. Like Marvin Harrison Jr. had what? 18 yards on three catches as an X receiver. Yeah. That's not a lot. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Emekek Buka, 70 receiving yards, Julian Fleming, 51, Marvin Harrison, 18. Uh, Kate Stover didn't do much, three targets, one catch for 12. So, I mean, again, we're, we're, we're curious. I'm not, I'm curious about it. I'm, I don't even, I don't think I'm perplexed. I don't think anybody should be worried but when I see that stat line for CJ Stroud in a game like this against an opponent like this, and I understand that Mayan Williams took care of business in a big way, I'm still just a little curious. I'm just curious what it means. And again, as we've, I think I'm finally coming around to this in my 18 season coming over Ohio State, it might mean nothing. He might throw for 500 yards to get Michigan State next week, right? It's like, whoa, what did we learn from Rutgers? Not, nothing. It just, that's just the way it went. And now, Look out, Mel Tucker! Here comes a five spot from CJ. That could definitely be the case. What was again overall? I always like to hear this because again, the Rutgers post game it took like Greg Schiano like forty minutes to come in, so I didn't get through the Ohio State post game at all. Nathan, what was the general vibe from CJ Stroud and Ryan Day just talking about how the day went for the passing game?
2: You know, like you like you alluded to before. I mean, it's a, a lot of just however you've got to win. I think that's going to be the message in the moment, but how they talk about it on Tuesday, I think will be a little bit more interesting now that you've had a chance to analyze it. And instead of having to make, you know, your your real time thoughts about it. uh, What did you see when you went back and watched this game? Because again, they have to know that that's what other teams are going to do with it. And what, what are you going to be prepared for the next time this happens?
1: All right, quick break. When we come back, we will talk about, we should try to name him. Name this version of Ryan Day, what we call yelling, finger pointing, Ryan Day. We'll talk about what happened, what it means next on Buckeye Talk. I so we wanted, I we just I I we end up on this podcast a lot, I think, talking about sort of like the theory of things because I like talking. I mean, I like the psychology of sports and what's in people's heads, but I want to make sure we talked about football first because they did a lot of good football things. And now we can talk about finger pointing and fighting. Were you surprised, Nathan, if you screenshotted the look on Ryan Day's face? When Ohio State ran a fake punt in the fourth quarter, that was a read by Jesse Mirko, the punter. He just took off because the opening was there. It's like an automatic, they call it. And sometimes like if this happens, you just go. And maybe the guy from Australia up 42 in the fourth quarter shouldn't have done it, but it takes a huge hit out of bounds from the Rutgers punt returner, who is an offensive player who's now in a position of trying to stop this running punter. So it's two guys who are doing things they're not accustomed to doing. The result is fake punt in a blowout and a late hit out of bounds and then a skirmish and the, the result of that is greg Schiano kind of makes his way over from the rutgers sideline because he's worried about his guy and this mob of ohio state players the ohio state players are mad and ryan day and greg Schiano end up pointing at each other you can screenshot it their fingers are two inches away from each other and there's lots of people with photos and just watch the replay on big 10 network nathan the, if you screenshot the look on Ryan Day's face, I know it's the heat of the moment. Ryan Day looks like he is going to tear somebody's limbs off. That is an angry man in that moment. I don't think I've ever seen anything really close to that version of Ryan Day in the heat of that moment. What did you make of just that? We'll get into the fake pond and all the stuff. But I'm interested in his emotional reaction. Man, I guess I
2: just don't have the the same. I mean, I feel like we have seen that from Ryan Day. I feel like he's gotten animated before. Maybe it wasn't quite to that extent. But there also maybe hasn't been like right in front of his feet. An event unfolding like that too, because remember earlier in the game there was a play on the other sideline where C.J. Stroud got hit kind of late. That one was borderline; it wasn't as blatant as how late Mirko got hit, but that was over on the Rutgers sideline, so nothing really became of that. And I think if the Mirko thing had happened on the other sideline, this would have been very different. This happened on Ohio State sideline, so it was happening right in front of Day, where all his players are now in the middle of this thing that's starting to boil up. But I mean, let's not forget that this is the same Ryan Day who by multiple reports got very snippy on a phone call with Jim Harbaugh a couple Mm -hmm. years ago, like he's, his temper has been out there before. I, and he's a pretty emotional guy. I feel like his emotions have been on his sleeve a a number of times. I know he, he he also has a lot of the calm demeanor that you would expect from a quarterback and kind of being, you know, cool under fire. But I think we see enough of it come through that I, I wasn't like that blown away by just the fact that he
3: got heated in the moment. I think the alleged words he said on that call were, "We're going to hang a i No, yeah, no, we know, we know, we know.
1: That what? wasn't what he said to Jim Harbaugh.
3: That was what, what he to said to players. Later.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. He, but
0: we've
1: he, seen- he told Harbaugh, "Like, yeah, yeah, worry about your own guys." But we all know yeah. that. That's all in the past. What, what did you think of this emotion in the moment, Stephen?
3: Honestly, don't see any difference between this and then when he, you know, was barking at the refs last week after Jair Brown's, you know questionable pass interference call. I saw a coach sticking up for his player. I just think that because Greg Schiano got involved, it wasn't just a coach and a ref. It was a coach and a coach. And so maybe it went to another level.
1: Yeah, because I, I East can't Coast guys. you guys are downplaying this this much. There were two head coaches of a college football teams standing feet away from each other with their fingers inches away from each other, screaming and pointing at each other in the middle of a football game. How often do you see that? We don't. We see that every. We don't see it every week. We don't see it every month. No. We don't even usually see it every season.
2: No, but we watch the context of how it unfolded, and we know why they were standing that close to each other to begin but, with. Again, but there
1: we, are a million ways. It did not have to look like that. It didn't have to be screaming, finger pointing, inches away from each other. I understand you're upset about the situation. It was a late hit out of bounds. I get it. But like that, it, I don't think we can pretend like it had to go down like that from the reaction from the coaches, even though, to be fair, and get this out there, both Ryan Day and Greg Shano said after the game, they're friends. They're just two guys being competitive and protecting their players. The postgame handshake after the game was very cordial. They patted each other on the back and on the arm and on the shoulder several times. They kept it in there like they got through. Like it was over very quickly. But I'm interested in the heat of the moment, like what it revealed about Ryan Day. When's the last time you saw two coaches in that situation? In a game that of any reference. Two coaches yelling at each other like that in a game.
2: Well, I mostly watch Ohio State games, so I don't know. It hasn't happened
1: in an Mm. Ohio State game in a while. So here so so here's part of it too. And again, I have a terrible memory. Urban was very, Urban was like, I'm coming into the Big Ten and I'm going to recruit the way I recruit. And this gentleman's agreement is out the door. And like, I don't care what people think. I'm going to run my program the way we're going to run it. And he could be very hard, I think, on his own team. Right. But I'm trying to think of like a circumstance yeah. where Urban would have confronted another coach like that. Now I'm trying to think, Trestle. Okay. i not even close. Right. I don't, not even close. I didn't cover John Cooper, but I kind of, I've been around Coop. I have people listening. would have a better sense than any of us. I don't know about that. I'm trying to think like the, that was almost like a Woody moment and I'm sure an Earl would have done it too. But the last time you had an Ohio state head coach who would have done that in the heat of the moment, get that look on his face, shout, finger point, the opposing coach, that's what I'm thinking about, Stephen, and and it's going to lead to something—a a question that I asked the texters. But I I really do think it's unusual. Maybe it's not a big deal because it was just a guy who was mad, and they were both mad, and they got over it in two seconds. But I do think it's unusual. Is that fair? Yeah. Sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, whatever. Yeah, the, the circumstances are unusual. Again, this wasn't like it That's, was. No, just...
1: no, it's not. It's a it's a out of bounds. It's caused
2: by the circumstances.
1: It's, absolutely it's a late it hit like- out of bounds. They happen all the time. They happen in every game. We normally don't have that.
2: No, because the other coach isn't over there. But look, think of, like, again, go back to the context of why the coach came over to be that close to Ryan Day in the first place. It's football. You're that far away from each other. You can't yell at each other that but way.
1: But Ryan Day was yelling and finger pointing before Greg Schiano got over there. He just was pointing at other people. Right. Ryan Day was very, very, very angry. Very angry. Very angry and then got angrier when Greg, when Greg Shiano came over. You guys think it's like you guys think it's almost nothing? Is that fair? I, I just,
2: I don't, I mean, again, I think it's, it, it, it's very much just up to the circumstances that happened
3: on that play. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. It's interesting you, because now we know he has that in him, but.
1: And is that interesting? My... Does that matter? Is that. Indicative is that
3: a window? I guess I'm just saying I, nah, that that's not the that's not the ruthlessness that matters to me. The ruthlessness but, that would matter to me is like the Maryland game 2019, where he scores a touchdown and then he kicks an onside kick immediately. That's more interesting because that's about football. This is just about two dudes who got upset and had some words real quick. But this isn't about ruthlessness at all because ruthlessness is premeditated, and this is
2: more about a a quick snap reaction and and I guess I'm just the reason I I'm downplaying a little bit though I think Doug is that I don't see this tonight as new evidence that I didn't have before that Ryan Day has his teams back to this extent I feel like that was already demonstrated in other ways um, I, I feel like uh, the way he even talks about the outcome of games sometimes is almost protective of his team to an extent. I just feel like that has always been there for me.
3: I guess the, my, my question would, for you, Doug, would be, what about Ryan Day do you think changes from this moment as far as how you view him? The fire. He has a little Woody in him. Did you not think he had – all right, let's – I'm just going to – did you so- not think he had a level of dog in him before today? I
1: wasn't sure. Did, were we sure? He's some guy from New Hampshire – He's never been a head coach before. He seems like a real normal guy. He mm. cares about people on and off the field. I don't think if you listed Ryan Day's attributes,
3: I don't know. I don't know that like having some dog in him would have been in the top 10. And I think that's why it was interesting that you brought up Urban. I think Urban's demeanor and how he carried himself, if this would have happened with Urban, you probably, eh, yeah, that's just Urban. I don't think Ryan Day's off the field demeanor is like that so you don't expect his on the field demeanor to be like that but it is he's got a lot of that in him too he just doesn't show up to a press conference with it and you don't feel it when he walks in the room the same way it was bourbon all
1: right i I mean like i I get where you're coming you guys are acting like you knew this how did you know it
2: We've just we've given you multiple examples over the course of this discussion. Like, I again, I I I just I don't I I didn't think of him as like boring professor football coming in tonight. I feel like we've seen him be an emotional guy throughout the time he's been
3: head coach at Ohio State. Okay, I also can speak to this because like it's a different environment. But seeing him when they get competitive in these day camps, he's talking trash with players just like everybody else is and getting into it.
1: Uh, What did you think of the briefly shouting, pointing Ryan Day? That's the question I asked the tech subscribers, and these were the choices. I loved it. I want a Ryan Day with an edge. I liked it, but no biggie. I don't care either way. Just coach and win. I don't whatever sideline demeanor who just be effective or I did not like it. He lost his composure for a moment. Nathan, what do you think won? Loved it, liked it, it, don't care, did not like it. You think loved it won? Stephen, what do you think won? Yeah, loved it won. What do you think? What percentage? That is correct. Loved it won. What percent of the vote did loved it get, Stephen? Let's say 68. Nathan, what do you say?
2: I was going to say, how many choices did you give? Four or five? Four. four. I like 54%.
1: No, Stephen got 68.9. 68.9 say that they loved it. So, do you guys remember? Like, w- when was it? It was the twenty
2: twenty. uh at, Was it before, or after the Clemson, whatever the the Demario McCall leaked video after
3: the Big Ten championship game, after the yeah. Big Ten
2: championship game of Ryan Day just like f bombing and and going off. Like, we had other, we had other evidence of this in him before that. I know that that sometimes can be like a contrived environment and you're riling people up, whatever. But I think we've seen. A, an edge from Ryan day before. I think he just picks his moments and I mean, I for whatever th- reason he was triggered to that moment tonight.
3: Also, as talented as this team is supposed to be, I don't think they at this level, players respond to coaches who don't have some level of dog, in them. even but if they like also, the, even if the public, the, the general public never sees it. I don't think half of these players are responding to day, the way they have the last four years, if they didn't think he had a level of dog in them. But they
2: also aren't responding to the the Woody Hayes hard ass, my way of the highway. Yeah, way. yeah,
3: yeah. It, it's that de- there's definitely a ground, a middle ground that coaches that they have to 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 walk a little bit. But they got to know you have a little bit of edge to you, or like, why would I ever listen to you? Okay, you guys can blow it off. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a window.
1: I think when people get mad, you really get a sense of who they are, and I think. Um, I thought that I thought it was instructive. I thought it was instructive. And I think after a year in which Ohio state lost twice in which they lost to Michigan in which some people are wondering, is this a finesse passing team? And they don't, you know, we've all this, the toughness conversation, whenever I thought it was interesting because it's not contrived. And again, we can say, well, players wouldn't respond or he had a video and the lots of coaches in a locker room were like, you know, get fired up with their team. This is what, this is what came out of him publicly on a field to another coach in the heat of the moment. And I thought I learned something about Ryan day. And I think it, I figured it would be something that most fans would like, but I'm just wondering if Ohio state has had a coach since Earl, who would have had that look on his face and pointed at an opposing coach like that. And I just I think name. that's interesting.
2: I have a name by the way.
1: What's that? You oh, remember Day? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So on friend, there's an episode of friends. I hate citing friends, uh, but there's an episode of friends where um, yeah. Ross, they have this, this,
1: uh, Red Ross, man. You don't gotta trust me. Yeah, I'm good. Right.
2: Red Ross, cause like he gets just like this once in a lifetime thing where he gets that mad and they had never seen him before and they tried to summon Red Red Ross who so could go play this rugby game. I think Red Ryan could
1: be Red Ryan. No, Red Ryan is good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to like have a conversation with Ryan Day, like about this idea, you know, cause I do, um, When when you lose in the heat of the moment is when sometimes you reveal a lot about yourself. And I think I think it's interesting.
3: I'll agree with this part of it, though. I do think he's tapping into it a little bit more this year because of like the I mean, the whole toughness thing they're trying to push. So I do think whatever edge he has, he's maybe tapping into it a little bit more this year than he has in years past, because maybe he didn't tap into it enough in 2021. And he watched the team get pushed around. Mm -hmm.
1: That could be. That could be. Uh, Nathan, what do we make of the whole thing? I think I just, if, if people have not heard Ryan Day and Greg Schiano talk about it, the circumstances of a fake punt in the fourth quarter in a blowout, what do we need to tell people so they have an understanding of of the situation that created this circumstance?
2: So, yeah, Greg Schiano made it clear that he did not think this was Ohio State calling a fake punt at that stage of the game. He probably doesn't know that Jesse Mirko is from Aus. Well, he may. Yeah, I'm sure he knows Jesse Mirko is from Australia. Actually, they're, but-
1: they're punter and kicker are from Australia. Are so right, Rutgers, right, yeah,
2: right. And they came through that same system. But I, I, I don't know if he processed this in the moment. But what, what happened there was Jesse Mirko doesn't have doesn't know the nuances of American football, and that you don't need to run that at that time. That you just kick the ball away because you're trying not to embarrass your opponent. So. That's all that happened there from the Ohio State side of things as far as why the play happened. And again, he came over to try to pull guys away. Ryan Day was pulling guys away. They didn't want this to be a brawl. Right now, it just looks like a dumb little fracas that happened and it was over in a pretty short amount of time. But what they were both most fearful of, and I'm sure they'll take the heat for whatever they jabbed at each other for just those few seconds. What they didn't want was like, you know, punches thrown and helmets swinging and something that becomes a black eye for not just their teams, but the sport. And they were able to avoid that. So whatever, this will be, uh, you know, a forgotten incident pretty quickly.
1: And again, it's the idea that when a punter maybe sees an overload right. by the defense and punt coverage, like maybe they're coming on a block or they, there's just a side, there's a gunner that's not over there, or whatever. And you see open grass. It's like, I know I can make the first down. It's an automatic, just go. It's not signaled yeah. from the sideline, and that's what happened here.
2: He does those rugby punts. This is the way he's been taught to do it. That oh, you, know, you you run out, and at a certain point, you look up, and there's nobody in front of you, which there wasn't. Because I mean, Jesse Mirko, I guess he's a pretty good athlete, but I mean, he doesn't just get 22 yards untouched without there being like nobody in front of him. And that's just what happened. And it, there's it, if it had happened in the first or second quarter, it would look like a brilliant play by Jesse Mirko. And here, it just looks like a guy who again just now he he learned a valuable lesson in the nuance of american football
3: i mean even if this game was like 31 to 24 it'd be on ESPN top 10 so it's mean shout out to him man he showed some speed
2: yeah and 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 maybe on in a weird way now teams know when they play out state hey don't forget to leave a guy over this uh australian punter so he doesn't run off for 22
1: yards and also, if you're a head coach, don't go to the Ohio State sideline or Ryan Day is going to point at you like a mamma jamma. Boy, that guy can point. So, again, I asked Greg Ciano about the idea of, hey, in a conference game in a blowout, how should things be handled at the end of the game? Tried to leave it open ended. He said, I think I know what you're getting at. I don't think they called it, but it's our responsibility to stop them. It's on us which I was like, yes, thank you, which is we had this conversation last week of why is Ryan Day trying to take it easy on Wisconsin? They're splitting the money. So take the loss. And so credit to Greg Schiano, He said that had nothing to do with any of this. It was not that he was mad that they ran the play or whatever. He was just saying like in the moment, we're just again, we're trying to make sure there's, as you said, Nathan, and it doesn't become anything bigger. So that part of it, um, credit to that. And again, there's this little undercurrent that Craig Shiano was not very good as the Ohio State Defensive Coordinator in 2018. We just know that. And there was no way he was coming back in 2019. So if Urban Meyer had not resigned, Urban Meyer was going to have to get rid of his friend. And instead, Urban Meyer's gone, Ryan Day takes over, and Sciano doesn't come back. Now, he wasn't, like, fired, but Ryan Day did not retain him. And then he didn't do anything in 2019. He was going to take a Patriots job, and then he didn't take it to spend time with his family and then he becomes the Rutgers head coach in 2020. And now he's in year three. So there is a part of it where from the far, far, far outside, you can say, Oh man, Greg Schiano is mad because Ryan day fired him. And now they're pointing at each other. But the whole time Ryan day was filling in as the head coach for urban Meyer in 2018 at the beginning, he talked about how much help Greg Schiano was to him Ryan Day thanked Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson, who both have been head coaches profusely for all their support. Greg Schiano had nothing but great things to say about Ryan Day. And I really don't think there's any underlying issue there. So if you're trying to look inside um, what happened with that, I don't think there's bad blood. I do think it was just kind of a crazy moment that told us something. Okay, uh, Nathan, you and I will be back on Monday. We really want to dig in on Mayan Williams there. We know Georgia almost lost. We know it continues to be kind of weird. In college football right now, Arkansas was hanging around with Bama for a for a spell on Saturday, the sport. There's just a there's a lot going on, man. So um we'll be back to handle that. Who do they play, Steven, next week? What's the thing?
3: Who? Ohio State? No,
1: Michigan. It's Michigan State, right? Yeah, Michigan They play State. Michigan
3: State. Their first road game. We and actually Michigan, get to go somewhere.
1: Michigan State lost to Maryland on Saturday. So Michigan State, not so good. Not so good this year. All right. Read Cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. And make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.